Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 2. This is Writing Excuses, writing active characters. 15 minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Amal Al-Muhtar. I'm Maurice Broadus. Great, and we are recording with what we call our Chicago team this week. You'll be hearing from them every second week of the month, and I would like them to introduce themselves. Uh, hi, my name's Amal. Uh, I'm an author, critic, uh, poet. I write short fiction and poetry mostly. Uh, I write reviews for NPR and very recently for the New York Times. Uh, and I recently won a bunch of awards, uh, the Nebula, Locus, and Hugo Award for a short story of mine called Seasons of Glass and Iron. Nice. Uh, I'm Maurice Broadus, and uh, I am a science fiction, horror, and fantasy author. Uh, I wrote the uh, Urban Fantasy Trilogy, The Knights of Breton Court. Um, I have a short story collection out right now. Um, I've written, I've had published close to 100 short stories, and uh, most recently out is my novella, Buffalo Soldier. And and he's also an editor as well. Oh, yes. (laughs) And we're going to talk about active characters today. Um, I bring this up early in the season because it is something that I notice a lot of my students do. Um, And I noticed I did a lot earlier in my career is that I would set a story with a character observing events or who was very passive at the beginning of the story. This isn't always a bad thing. Um, But we generally in writing want to push our characters toward making decisions, being a part of events and that sort of thing. So I'm going to ask the podcasters, how do you go about making your characters more active? There's a couple of different tricks that I use. I mean, one of them is, you know, obviously they can go and do things, but a lot of it is making sure that they are are making plans and then attempting to act on those plans. A lot of times what happens when you have a character that feels very passive is that they are only reacting to the things that are going on around them rather than um, than taking steps to, to move forward. So for me, being an active character is not just about the external things that they're doing, but also the internal choices that lead them to those uh, those motion action points. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And to me, what makes an active character uh, almost more than anything else is desire, is mm. they just to want things. Um, and usually that's that's intimately connected to plot. You know, what does your character want? But uh, I think there's a difference between giving them a want and working to make people feel the things that they want. So having a character just desire something in a way that makes the reader also desire the thing or just feel that tension. Um, I like the point about passive versus active, though, because the idea that 
to me, you can have an active character who's trapped in a jail cell, you know, who's basically yeah. just stuck in one place. But so long as their desire is active, so long as their wanting is active, then that will make them seem an active character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for me, it does come down to, you know, motivation. What What is it they want? You know, what is their goal? What do they want? But also on the flip side, I'm a big believer in the reluctant protagonist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so a lot of times, you know, my characters just want to be left alone. <laughs> They're just hanging out. Um, and, but then circumstances arise. They're like, oh, man, I, got, I have to do something. Because a lot of times we don't know what we want until something pops up. So um, let me so. let me push you on that one then, because that's one of the best story archetypes out there, Right. Um, how do you make that character interesting when they are not engaging with the main plot? And then, second question, how do you transition them toward engaging with the main plot? What are your steps? Hmm. So, uh, okay, so uh, I'll, I'll start this by saying sometimes I write novels just for me. Hmm. Um, so, like, so most recently there was a novel I wrote. I'm not even trying to sell it. I just wanted to do it because I really love this character. Hmm. But it began with this character who all he wanted to do was be left alone so he can get high. <laughs> that was his sole goal for the whole time, for, for the book. But circumstance wouldn't allow him to do that. He ended up getting dragged along into this sort of like a, it's a, a steampunk novel. So it's a, a kind of like a steampunk version of the Black Lives Matter movement because he's suddenly being <laughs> caught up in all these circumstances where he's just dragged along. And he's just like, I really, really don't care about your cause. I just want to be left alone to get high. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, so and, and so, what happens is, is I basically end up providing him a secondary motivation. So yes, his main goal is to get high, mm-hmm. um, and three fourths of the way through the book, I allow him to finally get high. <laughs> um, but then by that point, he now has a secondary motivation, which is he's now because of circumstance seen the the the, the plight of his people. He has seen the, the uh, injustices that have occurred. So now that he's fulfilled his primary goal, he's like, all right, now I need to take steps to what can we do to correct this problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was reminded of, there's a story by Ursula Vernon called, I think, Sun, Moon, Dust that was on Uncanny. And the protagonist is a gardener who's inherited a sword that is exclusively for barbarians. And the sword has like these trapped spirits in it that really, really, really want to teach this gardener to be a barbarian. He's like, but I literally just want to garden. Like, I don't want to do anything else but garden. And it's still super compelling because his desire is to not be engaged. Uh, And yeah, it's delightful. Well, and I think that that's, the, for me, really the thing is that these 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 inactive, reluctant characters are reluctant because there is something that is more important to them than than main main plot. Um, so they they are making plans. They are trying to accomplish something, which is to stay put and maintain the status quo that they already have. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a I, I used to work on this show called Lazy Town, and the antagonist for this, granted, not not a main character, but a very active character. I mean, not you know, not the protagonist, definitely the antagonist. His goal was to be lazy and to take a nap. And the lengths that this man went to <laughs> in order to uh, try to do that, the ridiculous costumes, that the sheer amount of contrivance that he went through made him the least lazy person in Lazy Town. Uh, so I think that you can have a, a character who is actively trying to avoid being engaged. And for me, the, the moment that transitions them into, uh, into being, being the person who um, is engaged and is driving towards the end is when they start to recognize the importance of, the, of that new storyline, that, that it becomes 
more important than, to them than, than getting high or than gardening when they start to recognize the value of it mm-hmm. um, and how it relates to themselves. I think that's when, uh, when they start or stop being the reluctant character. I mean, they still may be a reluctant, but where they start engaging uh, more proactively. You know, one thing I've noticed and why I bring this up um, is – I guess there's two things. The first one we've really kind of covered and hit hard, and I see this a lot in students, is the character who seems like they're waiting for the story to start. And -hmm. you can just tell they're waiting. And then they're going to go on a rip-roaring adventure, um, but they're not really a person Mm -hmm. until that happens. Um, The second thing I often see is the character, and I think this happens naturally to us. When I look at my early stories, why I did this, it's because as a teenager— I was all. I was never the decision maker. I was mm. never at the center of anything, and I always observed what everyone was doing. As a writer, you tend to be somewhat observant, and so I started writing these stories about someone who would stand at the side of a really important event and would observe the story happening for basically the entire story. Hmm. And I'm not saying you can't write a story like that. In fact, I know that our listeners are going to be like, well, I'm going to write a really great story like that. There are <laughs> it's some, called The Great Gatsby. <laughs> there are some really great stories written that way, but it should be, I think, the exception, not the rule. And if you're doing it by accident, that's what you need to watch out for. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you that one. Let's say you come across a student's work where you notice that they are writing a lot of characters who stand and observe events. What advice could you give them that maybe you've been through or whatnot, where you've taken a character and you've just kind of made it more personal to them, involved them in the main story more. Hmm. Well, you just answered that. You make it more personal to them, uh, which gets back to to what Amal was saying earlier where she was talking about uh, making sure a character has a desire. Um, a lot of times when, you know, certainly when I was a teenager and, and watching things, my desire was to just go home. Hmm. Um that that was that was all, and I, I wasn't in a position where I could take action. So I think the two things are to one give them a desire, but the other is to give them the ability to take action. That a lot of times this is something that we we forget to provide our character, that they don't have any degree of agency, that they can't take mm-hmm. action even if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. I have a, a short story that's almost exactly this. In, uh, it's called Madeleine, and the the premise of it is that this woman uh, has participated in a clinical dry- trial for an, an Alzheimer's drug, uh, and now she's experiencing fla- like flashbacks to memories that are basically hallucinations, and it feels like time travel as a consequence. Um, and uh, so literally a, a lot of the story is her just experiencing extremely vivid memories and observing them. Um, and what I did to try and make that engaging was to really dive deep into the sensory affect of the story so that you uh, so that you could get a sense of what it would feel like to just have this really dislocating and terrifying thing happen to you so that it's not as much then about um, uh, about what Madeleine like mean character's name is Madeleine because um, I got Proust all over it, but uh, basically, um, but it's not about necessarily what she's doing. Um, she's but uh, but how you're experiencing what she's experiencing. Excellent. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Um, and our book of the week is Seasons of Glass and Iron. Yes. By? That's by me. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, so this is a short story in an anthology called The Starlit Wood, New Fairy Tales, edited by Nava Wolf and Dominique Parisien. Um, and the anthology is super, super, super amazing. Um, and I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, my story in it uh, is that that's the story that won the, the Hugo this year, my first ever Hugo and first ever Nebula. Um, and uh, I was really delighted with it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's my thing. It's, it's a basically it's a mashup of two fairy tales. Uh, the whole remit of the book is to retell or engage with fairy tales in an interesting way. Um, so I imagined uh, one woman, um, Tabitha, who was forced to walk for seven years in iron shoes, uh, meeting this other woman, Amira, who is a princess stuck on a glass hill. Uh, and the iron shoes enable her to climb this glass hill and they talk to each other and uh and have conversations and then um and then the rest is spoilers (laughs) (laughs) awesome now thank you um let me pitch you guys another question um so oftentimes you're going to have this character like maurice was talking about that's going to go through a transformation and is eventually going to become very active how do you help a character who's changing their motivation mid-stride not feel like they're just committing um, a betrayal of their character? How do, you, how do you transition them towards someone who would actually act against their earlier motivations or at least cross-purposes? Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about this more later in the season when mm-hmm. we get to character arcs. But uh, one of the things that I, I find is that, um, that there's a series of stages that people go through. And uh, this stage when you're transitioning, um, a lot of times we we try to get the character to jump straight from being reluctant to being um, to being, you know, fully committed. But you you actually go through a stage where you are resisting the idea and and also where you begin to explore. So I think one of the things that you can do is you can um, give your character rather than just one catalyst point that causes the, the, the change, to give them a couple of them that move them a little bit closer to that, to that point. Hmm. Maurice, any tips? Yeah, so uh, a lot of times if I have a character who is, you know, lacks that agency and is not jumping into to this, this, you know, reacting to this, his circumstances, his or her circumstances, there's a reason why they're not. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that gives me a great opportunity for one to delve deeper into that character and examine or, you know, why aren't you, you know, taking more agency? Why aren't you, you know, leaping into this adventure? And so that transformation then becomes a, a series of examining those whys. You know, he has uh, they have uh, these reasons during the course of the story. They're going to keep examining those whys and, and and keep pressing in on those whys and like, well, you know, why aren't I? You know, taking more action. Why aren't I participating? So, examining the examining the whys is what I would call that that sort of path to transformation. You know, I've noticed something that I do in my writing is I often have one of these characters that's going to become part of something larger, and I have this smaller thing we've talked about, where this is what they their initial motivations are. 
And for me, what really helps the story move is making sure they have small goals to accomplish along mm. the way. Um, and for me, it's, it's breaking it down so that I can – I actively try to show the reader, here is the character working toward their thing. If they're a stamp collector, I show a book where they've got half the stamps they need, right? Mm. And little clues along the way that they are achieving this because one thing I worry about as a writer is losing track then of the character after I've established them, once the the main plot comes along and hits them like a freight train. <laughs> that I don't want you to have forgotten by the end of the story the thing that made you really intrigued with this. Mm-hmm. This character who was collecting stamps at the beginning and you're really into it because they really want to find this stamp. You don't want to forget that that person is the same person mm-hmm. that you started the story with. And little things they can accomplish all the way through. I, I like that your, your character managed to get high halfway through the story, right? <laughs> right. They, like, they got to accomplish, they got to work toward what their goal was stated the, at the beginning, even if they come to realize there's a larger problem to tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I recently had this, this realization about um, when I was, I was trying, it was one of those things where I was trying to explain it to a student, and it was a thing that I did intuitively, and finally realize that when I'm, I'm doing plots, that it's very easy to, uh, to drop plot threads. And so what I wind up doing now is when I'm, when I'm uh, plotting out, whether it's a short story or a novel, um, I have uh, what is the principal action of the scene, which is the, the thing the character is actually doing. And then how does this advance the plot? And I have... I have to answer the, how does this advance, you know, how does the plot advance for each of the plot threads that I am planning on this character intersecting? So if they're intersecting, uh, you know, an event thread and an idea thread and a a character thread, then I I have to make sure that there is something, even if it's not huge, but some small aspect of that that is advancing for them. Excellent. I love reading conversations so much and I feel like so little so few books give me conversations that feel like they have consequence because so I so in terms of like I love to see a character's mind change uh, in in a book and I love to see it change as a consequence of someone having changed their mind because I, I feel like that's this aspect of verisimilitude that we miss a lot of the time when we're writing um, we want to write action we want to write things that are exciting and conversations aren't exciting to most people but I really love talking <laughs> uh, so I just um, it infuriates me when in something like um, you know Marvel's Civil War people have a conversation that goes nowhere and I'm like okay but come on this is like an ov- why aren't ugh. and it just the, the the stopping and stalling of a conversation for plot reasons because you can't possibly resolve this thing through conversation because we need to have a huge Civil War thing is really irritating to me so I would rather in those situations see a character change their mind even if it seems like it contradicts things before because we literally do that all the time um and in those cases, what it requires, though, is to have a conversation that manages to get to the heart of what the characters care about. Um, like, I think of character motivation in a kind of architectural way, where you can have a sort of keystone of motivation, which, if that is moved, is if that is removed, if that is chipped or, or affected, then the edifice of motivation is going to start to be structurally unsound, right? Um, so, uh, and I think that conversations can, can do those things. Excellent. Um, we're out of time on this episode. Um, it's been a really great discussion. Um, Mal, you have our homework. 
Yes. Uh, so I write poetry. I love poems. And a lot of people are scared of them, but you shouldn't be. And what I would like to recommend as homework is that you find a poem written in first person uh, and write that poem in third person instead. Uh, write it as if basically extract that first person character and write them as a character that you're observing. And, and you had said to, to write a, a story around it. Not- and write a story around it, yeah. So if you take something like John Keats's La Belle Dame Sans Merci, you know, oh, what can ail thee night at arms? And then the night starts responding. You know, write that as a scene that you're actually observing and give them motivations, especially because poems are ambiguous and sometimes difficult. So if you manage to uh, decide a whole bunch of things that a poem leaves ambiguous instead and turn that into prose, uh, I think that could be really neat. Awesome. Well, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.